Okay, I'm going to read from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. So if you want to follow along with me again, let me give you those page numbers one more time. Okay, so that was 774 is Jonah, and the next one's going to be 839. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. On that day, when the evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And there they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, Who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thank you, Duncan. Thank you, Joanna. We just read from two different sections in the Bible, began in Jonah and then went to the book of Mark. 
You heard two different stories, stories that were actually 800 years apart from one another. So we're going to have a little test right now, how well you listened. I'm going to read the cliff notes of one of these two stories. I'm going to read the summation of one of these two stories. And I want you, after I'm done, to guess which of these two stories I am summing up for you. You ready? It's in your notes. I'll read it to you. A group of men set out on a boat. They left Jewish territory and headed for Gentile territory. While they were traveling, one of the men headed below to sleep. The ship encountered a huge storm that threatened to drown everyone on board. While the storm was taking place, almost unbelievably, the man who went below remained sleeping. The other men on board were terrified, so they woke him to get his help. Soon after, the storm was calmed and the lives of the men on board were spared. As a result, they all expressed great fear of the Lord. Okay, which story have I just described? Which one? I just described both stories. <laughs> I just gave you both stories summed up. That's what happened in both of them. And I want you to see the incredible greatness of God's Word. Here's God operating in the upper story 800 years before Christ comes into the world to orchestrate events not only to work in the life of Jonah, not only to save the lives of the people on the boat, not only to ultimately get Jonah to go to uh, Nineveh and preach and bring repentance. All of that was happening, and all was happening in what we call the lower story, our story, the one we live in every day. But while that's going on, God in the upper story is, is orchestrating events so that this is more than just what happened then. This is now a picture of what's going to happen eight centuries later with Jesus. It's called a type, a picture. And as we've been looking in our series through the Old Testament, we see that God does this all the time. Way back with Adam, God's doing things in Adam's life that are going to cause people later when Jesus comes to say, Oh, huh, Adam, Jesus, and then the Passover lamb, oh, Jesus, the rock in the wilderness, oh, we get that. Jesus brought living water, and all the time God's working in one place, doing miracles, loving people, he's preparing people, making a picture of what Christ is going to be like or what Christ is going to do. So there are lots of these types, shadows, pictures, in the Old Testament, but if there was only one that God really wanted everybody to get, if there was one, if there was one that God wanted to stand out so that when you saw this particular picture, you would understand the most important facts about the most important person who would ever live, it would be Jonah. Because Jesus said this, 
He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is the one sign, he said, I want you to see. Now, what's a sign? A sign's a picture. It's a big picture. It's where you think, mm, I want everyone to know something. So I'm going to blow up this picture. I'm going to blow it up, make it real big, and then I'm going to put it in, in the most visible place possible so that nobody will miss it. Everyone will see it and go, oh, I, I understand. I read it. I get what it's all about. And Jesus said Jonah was going to be more than a picture of him. He was going to be a sign because the three things that the life of Jonah tell us, oh my, these three things are the three things you have to know to be saved. And they're all contained in the life of Jesus. So let's take a look at them first of all. Jesus is a, I mean, excuse me, Jonah is a sign of Jesus more than just a picture because he quote unquote died and he quote unquote was buried for three days and three nights. Now Jonah didn't really die. He wasn't really buried, but God orchestrated this strange event in the belly of a fish. <laughs> how dark, how, 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 how terrible that must have been and had him stay in the belly of that fish for three days as a picture, as a sign that one day the son of God would come into the world and he would die, really die, not just quote unquote die. He would die for the sins of the world and he would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Listen to the words Jonah used in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, when he's talking about his time in the belly of the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, you would expect Jonah to say, out of the belly of the fish I cried, oh, God, save me. But he, the language he used in Jonah 2.2 is so much more intense than being in the belly of a fish. He said he was in a place called Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew word. And it means the place of darkness, the place of the dead, the place of the grave. In the New Testament, when you find the word Hades, it's the same word, the place where dead people go. And so the words that God has Jonah pick are profound. He's saying, listen, it was like I was dead. It was like I was gone. I, I, was, I, I was beyond life. I was in the, the place of the dead, the place of the dark. He's describing, making a sign, making a picture of what was going to happen one day when the Son of God came into the world. Jonah is also a sign because, in a sense, he was, quote-unquote, 
resurrected. Of course, he wasn't resurrected because he didn't really die. But then this whole picture God had him uh, be involved with, it was kind of like that. He gets swallowed by a fish. We've never heard of this happening before. God has it happen with him. He's there in this place of the dead, he said, for three days and three nights. And then after three days, not two, not four, not five, God has him uh, as the fish vomit him up. This, this resurrection type thing occurring on dry land. Jonah said this, I went down to the moorings of the mountains, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O God. The pit? It's a synonym for this place of the dead. He said, God, you've done all this. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the sign that points to me is Jonah. He was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. The Son of Man's going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then on the third day, there's going to be life coming back forth again. I'm going to come back forth. He was telling everybody who listened, remember the story of Jonah? You've been told this your whole life, you good Hebrew boys and girls. You've been raised hearing this story. It was more than a story. It pointed to me, he was saying. And Jonah was also the Old Testament sign that Jesus uh, would be resurrected on the third day. And the third way that the life of Jonah points to Jesus, he is a sign because he laid down his life so that others would not perish. In Jonah 1.12, and you heard Joanna say this, Pick me up, said Jonah, and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. Jonah was willing to give up his life for the life of the people on the boat. Jesus said, I'm going to do that. Now, if you've read the whole story of Jonah, uh, this was, I think, the only selfless thing he did in his whole life. Um, if you were to pick out Old Testament prophets you'd want to emulate, it wouldn't be Jonah. Jonah runs away instead of obeying God. He doesn't want to preach to the people of Nineveh because they'll repent. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't like them. So he is not really a loving, selfless kind of guy, except here in this one place in his life. And God works that out. So that in this one event where he's going to go into the fish and come out again, it's based out of love. He's doing it because he doesn't want the people on the boat to perish. Doesn't want them to die. So Jonah reminds us of Jesus, does he not? Who do the people on the boat remind you of? The sailors on the boat. Who do they remind you of? Who are they a picture of? They are a picture, thank you, of you and me. Here's what they said in Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. The captain came to Jonah and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. We don't want to perish. We don't want to die. This is mankind. Uh, 
Please help us. We have a great need. Jonah chapter 1, verse 14. They cried out to the Lord and said, uh, Please do not let us perish for this man's life. That's you and me. You and me, there's something inside of us that realizes we are guilty of our sin. But we don't want to perish, God. Is there a way that we can be saved? How can we be saved, God? And because of God's great love, we, like they, don't have to perish. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. If you've ever memorized a verse in the Bible, if you've never memorized a verse in the Bible, do this one. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Let us not perish, God, but have everlasting life. We've been talking for weeks about these pictures in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. But listen carefully. Pictures at a certain point always don't tell the whole story. They always aren't enough. If you were to see a picture of my mom and dad, um, i got pictures on my wall of my mom and dad. They look like a wonderful couple. i got a picture of them uh, probably from 19, late 1950s with my older brother holding him. and They look wonderful. And you would look at that picture and say, boy, I can learn a lot about your parents by this. And yes, you can from a picture. But... It's not until you got a chance to meet them, till you actually saw them in the flesh, that you could, you could appreciate who they were. So this picture of Jonah, like all pictures, can't tell the whole story. Because Jonah told a story, but Jesus is the true and greater Jonah. What he did for mankind is so much greater than what Jonah did for those people on that boat. Jesus said it, Luke chapter eleven thirty two. 32, a greater than Jonah is here. So let me tell you why Jesus, what he did and who he was, was greater than Jonah. Jonah did give up his life for the people on the boat. He said, throw me over so that you can not perish. But why were they going to perish in the first place, the people on the boat? What, what, was, what was making their life at risk, the people on the boat? Jonah. It was Jonah's sin that was going to cause the people on the boat to die. And Jonah, yes, out of love said, throw me over. Yes, he did. But it was his fault they were going to die anyway. But the greater than Jonah, Jesus, gave up his life for us. And we were going to perish not because of his sin. He knew no sin. Christ never sinned. We were going to perish because of our own sin. And yet, he who knew no sin was willing to become sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him he who had never sinned was willing to lay his life down for our mistakes for our sins not for his 
Jesus is greater than Jonah. Now, Jonah's sacrifice saved the lives of the people in the boat, did it not? But for how long? How long did he save them for? 30 years? How long would they live after that? 40 years? 50? Some of them might have lived another 60 years. Way to go. But they're going to die eventually, aren't they? But the sacrifice of Jesus saved us, not just for another 10 years, not just for another 30 years, but for all of eternity, he saved us. He's the true, and he's the greater Jonah. And one more thing. When Jonah was thrown into the sea, his sacrifice calmed the wrath of the ocean. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took away the wrath of an all-holy God. God is holy. It says in the Old Testament that God's eyes are so pure that he can't look upon evil. God is a holy God. And if he is a holy God, and the scripture says he is, then most of what we do every day, a lot of what we do every day, must offend him greatly. If he's holy, then some of the thoughts I'm thinking must offend him tremendously. Some of the words that I speak, my behavior, the way I treat people, I am unholy, and yet I'm living before an all-holy God. And I am worthy of the anger of God, the wrath of God. It's the righteous judgment of God that when God looks at the evil going on in the world, it's so repulsive to him that we deserve death. The wages of sin is death, the Scripture says. The anger of God is against those things. When he, he sees us hurt people, there's an anger he has. When he sees us lie, there's an anger he has. That's wrong that you're doing that. But when Christ sacrificed his life for us, when he was thrown into the sea of God's anger, of God's judgment, he took our place. He calmed the wrath of Almighty God. Let me read you this quote I found this week from the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. He said, brethren, I wish I had the words to describe the peace that comes into a human heart when we learn that Jesus is cast into the sea of divine wrath on our account. Our conscience accuses us no longer. Now God's judgment decides for us instead of against us. We look back on past sins with sorrow for the sin itself, but with no fear of any penalty to come. It is a blessed thing for a man to know that heaven and earth may shake, but he cannot be punished for his sin because Christ took all of God's wrath upon himself. On the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And at a certain point, as Jesus was becoming sin for us, 
God the Father, the all-holy God, had to turn his face away from Jesus. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the first time in history, in all of eternity, Christ couldn't feel anymore the presence of his Father. No, he couldn't because Christ was becoming sin for us. And the Father is a holy God and he couldn't look upon it. But Christ then died to take the wrath of God so that we would be then counted free Jesus was the true and the greater let's watch this video please and I'm gonna have the worship team make their way up to the front if you would please is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus.